All right. It's excellent. All right. Hey, welcome everybody online. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, thank you for being here. Hey, Pastor Lupe, are we recording back there audio-wise? We're good to go? Okay, great. Um, we're going to be releasing this, this uh, talk tonight, this discussion on our uh, podcast, um, on my personal one called E Squared, okay? Um, you'll see it on Facebook if you follow me. If you don't, just, just go there. You'll see it. But we'll also put it on the River of Life Church uh, podcast as well. And uh, so that way you guys can listen to it at work when you're not supposed to. That was a joke, okay, <laughs> and uh, all those kinds of things. So, But we'll, we'll have it all together here for everybody, especially for everybody online. Um, we'll post this also later. But we're going to have a great conversation, a great talk tonight. Um, and I want you to start thinking about questions that you might have about revival, about, um, about awakening, about the move of his spirit, about what it means to have revival, those kinds of things, okay? Start, start developing some questions because at the end we're going to have a Q&A where we're just going to bring a microphone to you and we're going to allow you to ask questions on whatever it is that you want to ask a question about um, relating to this topic. But if you have another question not relating to this topic, I'll, you can ask that too, all right? Um, and then we'll kind of go through it as well. Um, the goal is to, to be here for about an hour in conversation, and then at the end, after we're done answering questions and all those kinds of things, we're just going to open it up for prayer. I'm going to have Dr. Nichols just pray for you if you would like that individually, okay? All right, you guys ready? All right, so here's our panel here this uh, evening. This is Pastor Steve Nordyke, for those of you who don't know. Um, he uh, is going to help me in this conversation, but I'm also going to ask him questions too. Um uh, why don't you, not just for us, because most everybody knows you're here, but for people who are going to be listening to the podcast later, uh, say something about yourself here. Here's your microphone. And uh, Doc, there's your microphone right there. You can just turn it on. It's on. Everything's good to go. Hello. My name is Steve Nordyke, and uh, I've been a pastor, or I've been in full-time ministry uh, 37 years, and my wife and I have pastored uh, several different churches or been a part of staffs of several different churches. And um, I got saved when I was 16. Uh, our household wasn't a church-attending household on a regular basis anyway. And since I got saved, uh, since uh, when I was 16, I've been serving the Lord, um, more or less. You know, how good can a 16-year-old serve the Lord? That's, that's how well I served the Lord then. And um, have been pursuing God, been a student of... Uh, been a student of... Uh, the kingdom of God, um, got saved during the time of the Jesus Revolution movie. And um, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I think we will try this week to get to see it. But um, spoke to a few people about it and feel like we lived that, uh, had some very uh, direct um, encounters and experiences then that maybe for are for a different time to describe and discuss. But um, seen moves of God, experienced moves of God, been parts, been a part of uh, moves of God through the 37 years, actually longer than that since I was 16, and, um, and I'm 67 now, so that's a pretty long time, and um, um, have my opinions on things, don't consider myself an expert, but um, that's where I'm at, I, I pastored on staffs and teams, and now I 
am a uh, staff pastor here at River of Life. Awesome. Um, I'm, I'm curious, just by a show of hands real quick, who during that period of the Jesus movement, you, you got ministered to or was introduced to Jesus during that time? Anybody? So there's one, two, three, uh, four right over here. Okay, great. Awesome. Awesome. It's pretty cool to, to see that, you know, people still serving the Lord after so many years and, and uh, can be traced back to back in the day, as we say. So um, anyway, Doc, just uh, talk a little bit about yourself and, and, and kind of your background and your history. I, let me just make sure that's on. Oh, there we go. I did my best impression of you. Oh, brother. Oh, there we go. <laughs> That's pretty close, right? <laughs> well, my name is David Nichols. Um, I actually was born and raised in Wisconsin, and it's good to be back over the line here and uh, in this great state. I actually uh, went to church uh, before I was born. Uh, I went with my mom then. Um, <laughs> you could say I've seen the Pentecostal church from the inside out. <laughs> okay. Help us. Uh, no, I, no, Pastor Jake, seriously, they say my mom was speaking in tongues when I was born. I can't verify that myself. <laughs> okay, but. But anyway, I was raised uh, in, really in a really great church of that era. I mean, the 50s and 60s, our church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Um, and I was, my parents as well, I mean, I was raised with an expectancy of the supernatural and, and that it was good and that, and that we wanted it and that we, we wanted to see God move and things like that. And so, yeah, so I, you know, grew up in that. I... I went to uh, North Central Bible College. It was at the time in 1972. I wasn't ready for college. I didn't know that, but I, I knew I was supposed to go. So I got on the dean's list, okay? But the dean has two lists. <laughs> and then after a while after that, I met my wife, Sherry, and she straightened me all out. <laughs> I actually went there twice, so I was on the other dean's list the second time. And then, <laughs> and then I got really lit up with education, and then the Lord ordered me to go to Marquette University in uh, 1983, or 84, actually. So I actually started, yeah, I went in 83. And uh, he told me specifically, I want you to go to Marquette University and get a PhD. And I, I had just finished my master's degree. I was settling into uh, co-pastoring with my dad uh, over in eastern Wisconsin. And I, I didn't want to. I mean, I said, you know, God, that's for smart people. I mean, leave me alone, okay? So... <laughs> But he wouldn't leave me alone, and so I wound up over there, and I, but I made a deal with him. You know, you can make deals with God. And so he's, he's doing this Marquette thing with me. I said, all right, I'll do it, but you got to pay for the whole thing. And you know what? He did. Praise God. A whole advanced degree, down to the detail of my gas to drive down there and back from where I lived. And it was amazing. And so that set me up for some time in the academic world. I was a professor at North Central that became university. Um, I was known as the Herminator. <laughs> okay. um, 
because I taught a subject called hermeneutics, the art and science of interpreting the Bible correctly. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then uh, around the late 90s, and uh, I think that's around the time I I met you guys, Uh, they were immersed in revival. My wife and I were. We started going to revivals all over the place. And God basically booted me out of that world of academia. In 2000, we founded Heart of the Father Ministries, and um, we've been running hard ever since, 23 years. It's been amazing. Um, we now operate out of our own building in Rush City, Minnesota. We, have, we are four paid staff on our ministry, and God has just really blessed us. It's, it's been amazing. Yeah, that's, that's so great. I, I remember... Um I don't remember the beginnings of that, but I feel like we were kind of in the beginning stages of that, especially with Pastor Steve and, and kind of our relationship with with um, uh, you and coming down to Sherburne um, yeah. and preaching and ministering and <clears throat> all those kinds of things. And, yeah, so, and seeing all kinds of stuff happen. I mean, healings and miracles. And, yeah. 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 yeah, our, our uh, kind of our friends um, slash team all got together. We helped you with a few healing festivals in North Dakota and South Dakota. And I'll never forget the one you guys came to in 2014, Jamestown, North Dakota. It was our first one. And you brought a lady with you. You guys were located in Springfield at the time with Pastor Eric Hansen down there. And these guys drove all the way from Springfield, Illinois, to Jamestown, North Dakota. I remember this, driving out there, and this was a whole new thing for us. We had done many, many crusades in Africa and India and many other nations, but never really here in the United States in quite that way. So we were starting, that was the very first one. And I'm driving out there on I-94, and I'm just praying to God. I said, God, I've got to have a sign that this is really you. I mean, I'm glad we're doing this. I'm glad the team is coming and, you know, and all this, all the preparations we made, rented the hall. It was a big uh, fine arts uh, building of a college, actually, that we were in. And that second night when Mary Taylor came up to testify about that miracle in her body, that was my sign. It absolutely was. This woman was, she had had a, a, uh, car, her car was T-boned, and uh, her spine was basically destroyed from the middle down down to her tailbone. She had steel and bolts and pins and everything else. Constant pain for 28 years. And on that night, in that meeting, in a moment in time, God's power hit her. She has never had pain in that area again. And uh, she's still living out that, that healing down there in Springfield. And it was amazing. If I remember right, um, <clears throat> and sometimes it gets a little jumbled in my brain, but if I remember right, it, I don't remember if it was her that said that the metal dissolved in her body. Um, um, but I don't remember if that was her or not. But I, re- I remember hearing yeah. testimonies and stories of that 
it, um, it was kind of a mixed testimony because that's what I thought had happened. Mm -hmm. and, and she, I think she said some of it did, but some of it was still there. Yeah. Which was even to me was more of a miracle yeah. that the metal was still in her body and she has never had pain with it ever, ever since then. Yeah. She had x rays and MRIs and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we, have a, we have two, two, two gentlemen here um, that are just well versed in. in experience multiple things. You know, Pastor Steve didn't really lead into this very much, but in, in Minnesota and in Sherburne, we actually experienced a, we, we don't remember how long it was, but so we're just going to say seven months. Um, we, we had a seven-month revival um, where we had continual services every night, and um, it, our, our church uh, was rightly named Regional Worship Center, and uh, it was right in the heart, just right in Minnesota, Sherburne, down south, on I-90 there, in the middle of nowhere, a town of 1,200 people. And every night um, we had services, not because we had a, a, a lights and cameras and action and all this kind of stuff. Our, our worship was just, I mean, just it wasn't the greatest. I mean, there was no flash to anything, but people were just hungry in the area and uh, in our region. And people came from everywhere. Um, we used to have this big... Um, if we just imagine our sanctuary cut in half, we used a big wall that was a, a big sliding wall that we used to have to open up, <clears throat> and we would open that up, and there would be people all over inside of the church building, and a lot of the times when it was time for prayer at the end, um, many people would come, and and we'd have people, and, and we're going to explain a little bit of these things here to you, so there's a little bit more understanding what I'm going to say tonight. Um, but there'd be people all over the floor, just under the presence of God, and um, and it was it was almost became common for that to happen, where we'd be praying for people, especially the gentleman that was there. His name was Bill Davis, um, preaching. He would be praying for people, and people would just be laid out all over the floor. And it was because of that we kind of started. Um, I personally did. Um, I kind of started this journey of what is happening, <laughs> what is going on. And so, so now we kind of see, um, um, a, I don't want to say a refresh, but God is doing something different in our nation right now. And so I want to talk a little bit about revival because that's what this chat's all about. So in your guys' experience, um, if you can answer this, what, if you had to give an elevator uh, pitch, what is revival? What is revival? The English word revival comes from the Latin root. And actually, the word revival, we were talking about this at lunch today, the word revival is not in the Bible. If you confine yourself to the King James Version, I looked it up this afternoon. It's used one time in the New King James. Okay. But, um, but certainly, revival is in the Bible. But what revival is, the Latin root, viva, means life. When you put re in front of it, it means life again. So revival is the life of God coming to a place where it once was and establishing itself again. So revival isn't really getting lost people saved. They, don't, they can't have revival. They never had vival. <laughs> okay. So they need vival first. And really, in that sense, revival is a church word for church people 
for people that, that need to be renewed, restored, rejuvenated in, in the good things of God. Um, and I don't know if you've noticed with Asbury, the parts of it I've watched, I've watched some of it on video, um, it's real easy to lead the people in songs. They all know the songs. These are church kids. These are and church people that are showing up there. They start leading a song like, I love you, Lord, and I lift my... Everybody just joins right in. These are not people off the street that have just been newly saved and don't know anything about what goes on in church. And that's what a revival is. But when a revival runs its course and the church steps into being what it's supposed to be under Jesus, the head, then we do get out and we start winning people, and life does start coming to people who'd never had it before. That's really good. That's really good. You want to add anything to that, Pastor Steve? Well, if, 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 we're, if the herminator is going to be in, in uh, uh, dissecting the words and, um, and that's what revival is, then I want to... I want to rename the topic that we're talking about, and I want to maybe talk about a visitation. Um, because uh, in the framework of what's going on in um, Asbury, in the framework of, of or taking all of these pieces and making sense of it and, and maybe trying to make connection of it uh, to say, well, what's happening? Well, what's different about this? Uh, why, uh, and there's differing ideas about it. Um, with a visitation, you will have people revived and you'll have people saved. And because um, I agree with you on the definition, and so I, I don't want to get bogged down in is this a revival? Is it a visitation? Is it what was that other word you used at lunch? That other awakening, awakening, and yeah. awakening too. That's another. There's another definition about that. So, um, just a couple of visitations, uh, talking about the movie that's playing now. Um, back when I got saved, when I was 16, I was uh, just a kid in high school, and I wanted to date this girl. And I, I, and she said, "Well, if you want to date me, you got to come to church with me." And I, so I said, "Okay, well, I'll Ooh. do that." I was, you know, pretty motivated and missionary um, dating, huh? Missionary dating. Missionary dating, <laughs> and um, went to church with her. And the church I went to was a little white, clabbered-sided building in downtown Grand Rapids, not the best part of town, uh, the only place that this church pastor and people could afford. Um, that pastor uh, preached there for about five years to about 12 people. And they met on Sunday morning, and he preached to them, and he was very diligent and passionate. And that year that I, and when I went there and went into that building, the place was full. And this was on a weeknight, and the place was full, and it was mostly young people. And one of the hallmarks of that season was that people were just coming to the Lord, and they were going, where can I go? And, and so that church filled up then that year and then grew to, um, more hundreds and very many unique things and one of the unique things was um, a couple in uh, the the uh, Grand Rapids area Holland Michigan it's the it's the reformed holy land the Christian reformed holy land colleges and and reformed churches there etc and a couple of reformed church pastors were attending that church because they had gotten kicked out of their churches because they embraced the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So that was the atmosphere then. So, you, so, I, so I ask, or we ask, 
well, what was that all about during the early 70s and, and, and that? And so um, um, we'll, we'll I guess I'll just label it a visitation, a unique visitation of the presence yeah. of God. And so, um, um, and that went for a season. What do you think about that idea of visitation and where it fits in to what happens over the course of history? I think that's a good word. It, it really is. Many revivals are a visitation of the presence of God that just comes. People have prayed, they've sought God, they've, they've been passionate, the intercessors have been maybe even networking together with each other, and uh, yeah, Holland, Michigan. About maybe 20 or 30 years after that, I was preaching in a church in Allegan, Michigan, and this pastor, it was a Friday night service, and this pastor uh, of a Pentecostal church, Assembly of God Church, uh, had many relationships with many pastors in the region there. So there were a lot of pastors there that night, and, and it was a visitation. And God's power and presence just came down. Man, people were being healed and all kinds of stuff. And there was a Reformed pastor from Holland there. I'll never forget this. And nothing really happened to him that night. But the next morning, he, he went home. And the next morning, he got up and, and uh, sat up on the side of his bed, looked out his window, and he started speaking in tongues. And, and that's a big deal in the Reformed Church. Okay, And he had a large Reformed Church, about 2,000 people. And I remember talking to him on the phone. He called me. He said, what am I going to do? I'm the pastor of this Reformed Church. I said, brother, I'm going to pray for you for wisdom, <laughs> wisdom from heaven to overtake you. And uh, I, I had several conversations with him, and I, I've lost contact with him now. But that's what happens in a visitation. It just it falls over denominational lines, uh, personal lines. And here's another thing about revival that needs to be said. There are really two basic major kinds of revival. The first kind of revival nobody can stop you from having, and that's called personal revival. And that is shown in the Bible many, many different places. If you want personal revival, if you want to draw near to God as an individual and get close to him and have his power and his mercy and his, his glory and his gifts and, and everything like that working in your life, there's nobody that can, there's no demon that can stop you. There's nothing that can stop you. Now, corporate revival is a little bit different because there you're talking about a group of people, you're talking about a church or a network or a denomination or a city or, you know, whatever the group is, there are times and seasons for that. So there's personal and then there's corporate. And so I don't want to assume that everybody knows when we say the word um, Asbury revival. Okay, so I don't want to assume that everybody knows that, um, but right now in Asbury University in Kentucky, is, is, it, is it Asbury, Kentucky? Okay. Wilmore. Uh, in, yeah, Wilmore, right? Yep. Um, um, there is a visitation amongst the university there where um, the presence of God is just overtaken. And, and so, so one, of the, one of the questions I think that, um, that we should ask is, 
what 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 are some things that lead up to a move or a visitation? Are are there things like, for instance, in Asbury, I was just reading about it, is there was a group of students who hung around after chapel to pray and just to worship, mm-hmm. and they stayed in the chapel for prayer and for worship all night until some people said, "What are you guys doing?" Well, we're praying and we're worshiping, and then so it just kind of picked up steam from there. Um, so, so can a revival be manufactured, um, or is it just, is it, what are some things leading up to a visitation or, um, uh, revival in that sense? Prayer and an unusual level of seeking God starts to spread among people. Many times it starts with an individual, uh, Edward Miller in Argentina, is a great example of this. And long before the Argentina revival of the 80s and 90s, uh, the one that broke out in the 50s is really the one that, that cracked the nation open. Uh, as Edward went there as an Assemblies of God missionary in the 1940s, Argentina was almost like a Muslim country as far as the ability to have people worship Jesus and so forth. It was ruled by uh, a... Uh, maniacal uh, dictator, Juan Perón. His wife, if you've seen the movie, was Evita, okay? A witch, literally a witch, in the highest office of the land, the, the, a dictator's wife. And so everything was held down with an iron fist. Edward went there as an AG missionary, and uh, what he had told himself his whole life, this is so important about revival, He was raised uh, as a child in the fires of revival on the west coast of the United States in California, Oregon, and Washington, and uh, had been in the meetings of Amy Semple McPherson and and other people that, that really were powerful in the things of God in that era. But what he had always told himself as he became an adult and actually became a minister was... It's burned over territory. Stuff has happened here before. If I could ever get to a place where the gospel has never been preached before, I know God would move and I would see the miracles and signs and wonders and all of that. That's what he told himself. Well, finally, a number of years later, he got there in Argentina. And he and a a missionary associate of his heard about this village over on the foot of the Andes Mountains where the gospel had never been preached. The people didn't even know who Jesus was. And they went there, and they set up for 10 nights of meetings. They had a tent. They had a PA system, such as this was like maybe 1949 or so, uh, such as it was at the time. They played uh, Christian music over the system all day long. They were open for business and meeting every night, and not one person darkened the door of that tent in 10 nights of being there. The last night, a tremendous thunderstorm came through, knocked their tent down, destroyed their equipment, and in in an utter failure and dejection, they packed up their stuff and headed back to the major city of Buenos Aires. But it was out of that failure and, and, and what Edward was learning about God and seeking God that the Argentina revival really was loosed because he went into a time, I believe it was 10 weeks, where God told him, 
What I want you to do for eight and ten hours a day is treat this like a job. You are going to seek me. In other words, you're going to pray, you're going to seek my face. Whatever you need to do, lay on the floor, stand, sit, kneel, this is your job right now. And the other missionaries actually were actually critical of him. They said, come on, man, you can do that an hour or two in the morning, whatever. you got to get out here with us. And he said, no, I'm doing this. And at 10 weeks, it cracked open. He was, he was pastoring a megachurch at that time in Argentina, which had seven people. Okay, and our, <laughs> that was a mega church. And when the power of God came into that, that's another whole story, of course. <laughs> but uh, when the power of God came in there and hit those seven people and lit them up with the baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire, and people, all of a sudden people started coming in from everywhere. That went on to yield. Well, then he became director of the Bible school. There was revival there where for 12 weeks, the whole uh, structure of the Bible school was shut down. An angel actually appeared inside the chapel of the, the Bible school and directed the prayer meetings directly from oh. heaven. Seriously. And that's all they did, 10 and 12 hours a day. They, they say that it was porous brick walls that this uh, building was made of. The students would lean up against them, weeping, crying, interceding for the nation of Argentina. By eight hours, the tears had reached the floor. At 10 hours, they formed a little pool. At 12 hours, it tributaried off to another pool. See, that's a prayer that you can't do in your human self. That's when God comes in and starts to take over, and he says, if I find, oh God, if I find willing vessels, I'll do it again. And he did, and, and what's really interesting off of that testimony, that, uh, that whole time period ended with a, uh, an amazing prophecy that said, I'll fill your largest stadiums with people seeking my face. The hierarchy of the Assemblies of God heard about that, and they came down, and they said to Edward Miller, um, Edward, we've been with you okay up to this point so far, but this is too much. Stadiums being filled, you know what the conditions are here. You've got to retract that prophecy, and Edward wouldn't do it, and he was thrown out of the AG on account of it. But two and a half years later, a little-known healing evangelist from the United States was sent down to Argentina also by an angel who appeared to him up here. And um, he got down there, and that result, that's... It'd take the whole night here to tell you that story, but, but it, it's an amazing story. He wound up in the office of the president, the dictator. Jesus healed him of uh, a terrible skin disease. Uh, 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 what's the name of it? Eczema, but worse. Uh, psoriasis, yeah. He was disfigured, actually, by the disease. And Tommy Hicks took his hand across the presidential desk of Argentina and prayed the prayer of faith. And in front of six witnesses, this man's skin cleaned up, and, and it was a miracle right in front of their eyes. Yeah. At that point, the dictator gave him permission for media, transportation, and stadiums wherever he wanted in Argentina, wrote it down on a piece of paper, stamped it with his seal, and, and handed it to him. By the time they were done, and for a period of six weeks from April to June of 1954, 
the tra in the nights, the traffic only went one way in Buenos Aires, and that's a major city. It's the size of New York. I mean, bigger, actually. And uh, the traffic only went one way, and that was to the stadium. They're packing 200,000 people in a stadium that seated 180,000 with tens and tens of thousands of people standing around listening on speakers outside. Wow. God did miracles by categories of disease. They would Back in those days, they had those big metal and wood leg braces for people that had leg problems. They would pass those down and pile them up in piles down on the field of the stadium. Yeah, that's amazing. Yes. Do you think, so, so Doc, it, with that story, and I'll ask Pastor Steve this too, um, <clears throat> would you say, would you say that, that revival, okay, or visitation, um, also Pastor Steve, your experience here, even in Sherburne, with what kind of happened, um, would you say that obedience, prayer, worship, a desire um, are kind of, the formula, I guess if you want to call it a formula, you know, yeah. but the formula yeah. for God to kind of move. I mean, what, what was your experience in, uh, in Sherburne, which led up to something maybe what we experienced? What were the year time frame? What was the year time frame of Brownsville, Toronto? Um, I don't, who, was, who was first? Yeah, uh, Toronto was actually first. It started in January of 94. 94. And then Brownsville started in June of 95. Smithton was after that in yep. between. 96. 96. Yep. A few other, well, multiple other places oh, yeah. around the country. Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I didn't have that information. That, oh, was, that yeah. was interesting, yeah. So um, in Sherburne, uh, like Pastor Jake portrayed to you, a town of a thousand people, small town, small farming community. And we had a nice new facility. God was blessing us. His favor was on us. We were hungry for God's move. We, we prayed for God's move. Um, and then we began to see it break out around the country. And my wife became a revival junkie. And um, we... Uh, uh, rented a bus and loaded up a bus of people from our church, a coach bus and people from uh, a friend of mine's church. And we drove down to Pensacola to Brownsville. Um, Deb and I, I, it wasn't on that trip. It was on a different trip. We stopped at Smithton. Um, we've been up to Toronto. We went to those places. But during that time period in those, in those dates, we were hungry for a move of God as well. And my, my friend in Springfield where we went, they were hung, he was hungry, they were hungry as well. And so we began, we didn't, we didn't say we want in on that and book an evangelist and start running media and, tell, and advertising and say, come to the revival, it's here too. But our hearts, we, we were leaning into that and we were enjoying it in the places we went and, and our people were enjoying that. And we were enjoying the manifestations of God in our services, like, like we do here. Just I, I loved what you said about uh, personal revival or, or personal visitation. We can have those anytime we press in as individuals. But there was, a, there was a thing that God was doing during that time, just like in the early 70s, and just like what's happening now at Asbury, a Methodist 
College and then breaking out at Lee yeah. University, different colleges around the yeah. country. And so you, your ears perk up and your Amen. spirit perks up and yeah. you go, God's doing something. And then you go, um, let's get in on this. So there's another element. I'd like your opinion on this. Uh, the, the picture that came to my mind as I was thinking about this was Israel when they were, when they were um, in bondage in Egypt. And God had a time set that they were going to be in bondage in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And it says uh, at least once, if not multiple times, and God heard their cry. Mm -hmm. And God heard their cry. When Israel was crying out, God heard their cry. So it seems to me, even in my own experience, our own experience, that there's a, a kind of a dual combination that God has something in mind that he wants to do. And, he, it, it, and it's always this chicken or the egg thing. I, I believe God stirs up individuals. Like he told this evangelist, he said, or this Tommy Hicks, Tommy Hicks yeah. you know, I want you to give every day to that. And then a preparation is made in the warfare realm for that move to come. So whether God does it first or whether man does it first, it's, it's, there's kind of a combination there, wouldn't you say? I would, and I like to say it this way. You can't do God's big part. And God won't do your little part. That's a good word. So you have to get together and partner with God. And we are still beings as mighty and powerful and awesome and wonderful as he is. And he is. He has created us as beings with free choice. And he does not force us. He'll make it really, really hard to, to not, you know, not do it. But there he, were he churches that didn't experience that during those oh, times. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I, I remember, if I could just tell a story about yeah, that. You're, you're mentioning those places really refreshes this in my mind. I was an administrator at uh, Trinity Bible College in Ellendale, North Dakota. And in uh, what have been... Hmm, 1997, I think, I said, well, we need to have a revivals a class, because most Bible colleges have a course called revivals, you know, when you study history of revivals, you know, the biblical background, and then the history of it, and so forth and so on. I said, but what if we just uh, got a bus and uh, took the students to revival at several places as a part of the deal? So we lined that up for spring break to take them to uh, Smithton, Missouri, and then to Brownsville and Pensacola, and we wound up at, uh, by that time, Eric was, was doing uh, Morelord and all that kind of stuff at Springfield. So I'll never forget this. I'm standing on the bus. Now, we've chartered this bus. I'm checking the students in for the trip. We're going to take off this night and drive all through the night and, you know, and get there for, at least get in, I think we got in three services at um, Smithton. Uh, Smithton. So there's one guy, if of the whole campus, this one guy, if I would have named someone that was, would have not have been a candidate for a revival, it would have been this guy. His name was Chris, okay? And I'm standing there checking people in, and he steps onto the step of the bus, and I'm like, Chris, I didn't see your name on the list. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm in there. I paid my money. Uh, my girlfriend's going, so I got to go. <laughs> you know? And those girls, I'll tell you. Yeah, they yeah. make you do things. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, missionary revival tripping. Right? <laughs> Whatever it takes. 
So I said, all right, yeah, you are, you're right. You're paid and everything. And okay, so we get on there. He goes down to the first service. Oh, and, and this is what he said to me. He says, yeah, yeah, this revival stuff. He says, I don't, I don't buy into all this. It's falling down. All this. I'm not falling down. I, I said, you know what I said to him? We'll see. <laughs> and, and we got to Smithton. And the very first service, for some reason, he dressed up in this three-piece suit with a tie. And nobody was dressing that way even back then. And, and it was like, Chris, wow, you look sharp tonight. Said, yeah, man, I'm going to revival. But I'm not falling down. So he goes up at the end of the service, a very powerful service. And the team there uh, starts praying for him, and he would not fall down. Instead, he, backwards, he fell forward. He actually got rug burn on his nose. <laughs> okay. He got so drunk in the Holy Spirit. Now, that's another term we probably need to, to work on. Getting drunk in the Holy Spirit, that's getting so much of the Holy Spirit that it's like the day of Pentecost when they thought they were drunk. Remember? Acts chapter 2. Okay. He was inebriated with the Holy Ghost. Come on. And after the service, we took the whole group to a restaurant to eat. Chris, this football player, I don't believe in revival guy, was so drunk in the spirit. And the waitress was cool with all this because she'd seen all this before a number of times, you know, people coming from the revival. I literally had to cut his meat and feed it to him with a fork like a baby. <laughs> I never forget that. That's awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. So maybe this is a good time to talk about that kind of stuff that happens at these places. So we'll start with Asbury. Um, a, a, a feature of Asbury is a weightiness in the room, a heaviness in the room that's moving people to repentance and worship. And, and this is just from me reading the news accounts and those kind of things. And um, there have been some manifestations, some demonic manifestations and some deliverance that's happened there. And it, 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 it's quite different for them and unusual for them. So that's a manifestation of, of someone who is um, um, uh, carrying with them the presence of a demonic uh, presence. And that demonic presence reacts to the presence of God. And so they, so they pray and they do deliverance. So that's, that's kind of a trait or a... Or a aspect of Asbury is this heaviness and they the even some of the critics are saying or or um, proponents of this and comparing it to other revivals is this isn't crazy like XYZ revival this is they come in and there's a heaviness everybody's in favor of heaviness um, we'd rather see people cry in front of God than laugh so you know that's kind of the traditional acceptable response right. to the presence of God well, so that's a trait, and then we'll watch and we'll see if that's a trait and a trend of this visitation of God or this move of God. There's at our revival and and the revival at Sherburn and at different places. There were a lot of um, uh, times, uh, as Pastor Jake mentioned, of falling out, and and that's where um, just basically you're you're being prayed for, and the presence of God comes on you so much you might get weak in your knees. You it's I don't know an old fashioned term would be swoon, or you don't faint or go unconscious or anything. The other one is slain in the spirit. Slain in the spirit. Those are phrases, but what it simply is is the presence of God just makes you weak, and you can see that in the Bible where people fall down in, in, in the presence of God or, or, or those kind of things. In fact, it was so common in Sherburne 
that, um, and we didn't want people falling on each other, and we didn't want to want people getting hurt. Some people say, well, if it's God, uh, you won't get hurt. Well, I see God all throughout the Bible. People get hurt all the time. So we didn't want people to get hurt, and so we had people who would volunteer to, to catch people and have them. But we... We, we just got practical, and this was more my side or more my bent, is that we had uh, masking tape lines on the floor, and we had like eight feet between the lines, and when it came time to pray, we would say, go stand on a line, because I don't know if you've ever been in a church where evangelists pray for people, but Every, I don't know what it is. Maybe we're a herd at heart. Maybe it's evolutionary. But everybody packs right in together. And so then um, uh, it's hard to pray. But anyway, we had lines. And we had, oh, this, this sanctuary with its fellowship hall was, um, was from that wall to beyond that wall long, or maybe this long. And so we had lines all the way back. And they would go stand. And it, it was such a fun thing to see. And this evangelist, let me speak to that. Um, Bill Davis was his name, a really great guy from down in Florida. He was a, a cellmate of, um, what's his name? Uh, Charles Manson. Helter Skelter guy, Charles Manson in California. Bill had been a bank robber, and he had a great testimony, a safe cracker, had a great testimony. And he just came one day and spoke to our men's group. It was great. And, man, that was great. Can you stay tomorrow, Sunday? And he spoke Sunday. And it wasn't like, you know, some TV preacher. It wasn't like some somebody who with their voice and with their presence would just draw a crowd or bring a crowd. But people came. And then, can you come back again? And he came He came every week for seven months. And we went, um, f- we went five we started at first, I think we went six nights a week, and then we went, after three months or so, we went five nights a week, and, and people would come, and we had as many as 250 people in that, in that little, that little church, not little church building, but little town would come, and we'd have um, all kinds of things happen, so the manifestations, you see, the teaching that I would give you on manifestations is, whatever can happen to the human body when they're brought into a manifest presence of God, be ready to experience that or see that. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Doc. Yeah, and I think the place to really talk about what you were doing there is you were not in the negative sense of this word, in the positive sense of this word, you were managing the move of God, stewarding it would be a better word maybe, Facilitating. Yeah, because if you just let anything happen, then anything will happen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, and weird stuff will happen. But you put you put some kind of structure with it that does not quench the spirit. Because there's some people that always say, "Well, if there's any structure at all, it's going to quench the spirit." I don't believe that. And and the case that I think that really proves that is the Toronto outpouring up there in Canada. Because of all the revivals that happened in the 90s, that's the one that got the attention. I mean, they took flack from everybody. And in fact, in the Minnesota District of the Assemblies of God, a, a paper was written by a person that ran it by me first uh, and said, what do you think about this? And I hadn't even been there yet. And uh, in fact, I hadn't even had my experience uh, of being challenged about being a Pharisee. And I read it and I said, I'm going to give you the advice of Gamaliel. If this thing is of God 
It, you can't stop it. If it's not of God, it's going to peter out on its own. Well, they didn't listen to me, and it circulated over to all the AG churches in Minnesota. And the Toronto Revival really had a hard time being, except for that very reason, in Minnesota. But anyway, um, I'll never forget sitting in there listening to Pastor Arnott. He was the lead pastor there for all through most, most of that revival. And he said he was going to do a session on manifestations. I said, I'm there, man. I want to hear the lead guy describe this. And he got up there, and I was surprised. He said, the first thing he said was, I just want you to understand, you don't see them, and you don't know who they are, but I have people, and, and this is a place where thousands of people came every night they were open for, what was it, like 14 years or something like that? I mean, it was amazing. Um, from all over the world. He said, my people are out there. They know what to look for. Uh, if something looks like it's going to get out of hand, they just gently come and take them by the shoulder or take them out or whatever, speak to them first or whatever. And I'm like, wow, that's really good to know. I didn't know that. And then he started talking about the manifestations. And uh, a big one uh, was barking like dogs, okay? That got, oh, that was all over the media. People are barking like dogs up there. And this is what Pastor Arnott, the lead pastor who was there from the beginning, who saw it all and led it all, really, um, he said, uh, I think I've heard that twice. Of the thousands. Of uh, those thousands, thousands of services, there. yeah. And he said... Um, so I'll just ask you a question. He says, why do dogs bark? <laughs> this guy in the front row says, uh, somebody's coming. He goes, yeah, somebody's coming. <laughs> you know. And there, there was another uh, a famous one where a guy, I, I think he, it was uh, crowing like a rooster. And I got to hear the testimony of the follow-up. This guy was from uh, Asia. I, I forget, it might have been Japan or somewhere over there, or no, it was Korea. And God told him in the, in the front of the church in that service to crow like a rooster. And so Pastor Arnott says, well, why do roosters crow? Somebody says, it's a new day. He said, exactly, it's a new day. So what the point there was you had to be open to a little bit of outside your your normal church experience type of thing, but to realize that God can take some very interesting things and make them prophetic. Because when you hear the whole testimony of that rooster crowing thing, this guy carried the revival fire back to Asia and Korea, I think even to Japan, and, and came back a year later and started testifying about what happened. But it was all about getting this fire released and carried over to the other side of the world. Yeah, that's, and that's, that was actually my next question is about the manifestations of the spirit. Because I think a lot of times, especially in our culture, we want to, we want to try to understand before we actually experience. We want to try to understand before we believe even. And I don't think that that's how God works. I think he, because he, he doesn't call us to be understanders, he calls us to be believers. And so I think a lot of the times um, belief comes first, understanding comes later. And, and if we can just get past the idea of, because what I think people are saying is that makes me uncomfortable. You know, that's inconvenient for me. <laughs> that makes me uncomfortable when somebody's falling or someone's shaking on the ground or whatever. 
And speaking to that, I was going to follow up on what Doc said. One of the things that um, are not the pastor there, when Deb and I went, he shared from the pulpit, was that when that crowing event happened, which stuck with me, um, one of the things that as I've pastored and been in churches early on um, in my ministry is that when something happens that's uncomfortable in a church, we all go, we freeze, we go, what was that? Uh, that, that made me uncomfortable. And, and, and as a leader, I'll just tell you from the leader standpoint, for many years, you're afraid to ask. You're afraid to, you're afraid to investigate and, and are not just was so refreshing. He said that after that happened during a worship time that he got up and when it was time to preach or whatever, and he said, who crowed like a rooster? Who crowed? And the guy raised his hand and he asked him, why did you crow? And that just struck me and was so instructional to me that in our services, when things, go, when things happen or when things go on, and Scripture tells us that we're accountable one to another in a service, that, that, that um, it should be the most natural thing to say, um, you guys saw this over here happen on the carpet, and somebody might be wondering why. Let me just address that. Let me just explain it. And that took me to a whole different level of, of um, embracing and explaining. You talked about understanding and believing. Um, we, don't, we don't have to leave everything hang and not have an answer for it. You might not like the answer of something, but uh, that really set me free as a leader to say, you know, this is what's going on, or, wh or who did that, and why did you do that? Because it brings such... It, that that testimony brought such joy to that group of people that 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 action symbolized that thing. Yeah, and you know when it comes to the manifestation, you know some people some people like to go, well, that's not in the Bible. You know, that's not crowing. Show me in the Bible where it says crowing like a rooster is right, or show me like barking like a dog or whatever. And I always answer them and tell me if I'm right with this, being a young leader in revival here. Um, I always go, are you even comfortable with the things that are in the Bible? Yeah. You know, are, are these... That's good. Right? Are, are, you, yeah. are you okay with speaking in tongues? Because that is in the Bible. Right. And, and so what we're dealing with, and I feel like even culturally, is more of a cessationist kind of idea where, you know, those kinds of things are left in the Bible, but they're not for us today. And I don't agree with that at all. I think whatever happened in the book of Acts is happening today and should happen today, whether that be manifestations of the Spirit, healing signs, wonders, miracles, winning people to Jesus, listening to the voice of God, praying for somebody for scales to fall off their eyes, you know, all those kinds Amen. of things. What, what, are your, what are your thoughts about that, Don? Well, I think once you step into the realm of the prophetic, okay, which revival, at least these kinds of revivals we're talking about, they, they certainly did, they, especially Toronto. Define prophetic. Uh, prophetic as that a person could bark like a dog and indicate that somebody's coming. In other words, that's prophesying about the second coming of Jesus. Okay, and it's so good what you said about uh, do you believe what's in the Bible? Because there's stuff that the prophets did in the Bible that we probably won't be doing here tonight. Lying for, naked on my side well, first. Yeah, Isaiah X walking around naked for, in chapter 20. Look it yeah. up in your Bible. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 20. For three years, he walked around in the buff in Israel. 
Now, it didn't mean to them what it would mean if you saw a guy walking around in Onalaska this, this afternoon, you know? What it, what it depicted to them, his naked body was, that my village has been attacked by an invading army and I had to flee with not, not even the clothes on my back. That's what he walked around depicting. That's what it was prophesying. And Ezekiel, same way, uh, cooking his food over human dung. Uh, that's not real fun either. Okay, and and we're and not that we're supposed to do that. But when you get into the realm of prophecy, the spirit of God is very creative, and prophecy has the ability when when you have a human vessel that will actually obey God to create the reality in advance, and then the people of God to walk into it. And that's so important. But I, I want to tell one from uh, Toronto that you, yours really reminded me of. One of the big things about there was laugh, holy laughter, it's called. And Sherry and I were, I mean, we were into revival. We were revival junkies too, Deb, so bless you. You know, we, we were going around whenever we could. And we had been into it for a while. Okay, and we were at Toronto, and we were seated in the second section. Remember this night? And there was this group of women sitting over on the floor on the side, which was not unusual, but they just started laughing. There was about three or four of them just laughing. And during worship, is no big deal, you know. Hey, you know, so we're just worshiping. Well, during announcements, they kept on laughing. And then the message came. The guy got up to preach the message, and they laughed all through the whole message. And at that point, I turned to Sherry, and I was like, mm, you know, you know, <laughs> I was maybe, I wasn't all the way out of my Pharisee coma, you know, maybe. But, but. So the next morning, we go to the morning session, and Pastor Arnott's up there taking testimonies, and he says, our first testimony today is this lady that God has brought to us, and she's come from so-and-so Baptist church in the United States. And she gets up there and she says, well, pastor, I was a little hesitant to come uh, because I'm from a Baptist church, and I heard you people speak in tongues. And I say to Sherry, speaking in tongues is the least of the thing you're going <laughs> to worry about here. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of other stuff going on here. And then this is what she said. She said, from a young child, my father sold me to men as a young girl. And she said, I was bound by that shame and that fear and all that stuff my whole life. And I, I went to church and I tried to please God and all this stuff. And last night, sitting, and she was one of those ladies. She said, I got my freedom last night. I found out that God loves me. I got all changed on the inside. I am happy. I am joyful. I am healed on the inside. And it's awesome. And I, I turned to Sherry and I said, what kind of Pharisees are we still? There she was. She was laughing her way into freedom. That's so good. And I, I just think it's so important that we don't judge the manifestation, you know, uh, it's the fruit of what happens. It's the fruit of what takes place in that. Um, when I was kind of, I traveled. For those of you who may not know what I did, I traveled for a couple of years with a, a few guys. And uh, we saw some crazy stuff, you know. And, and what, I, what, I've, what I've realized is that, that not every move of God is the same. Right. 
You know, it's all different. And if we try to say, well, we want it like it was in Brownsville days or Toronto days or, um, you know, uh, down in Florida, there is a gentleman by the name of Todd Bentley who led uh, a a move of God down there called the um, something outpouring, Florida outpouring. Lakeland. Yeah, Lakeland Lakeland outpouring. And, uh, And we can say we want it like that or we want it like this. The reality is, is that I think, I believe that we can't. Say, if it was just like this, then we would have it. I think we just go, God, what's, where are you? Right. You know, we, yeah. we want you. Um, not, we want something back in the, back in the day, you know. I mean, some people want, we want, we want to appear like the book of Acts, right, which we all long for. But, right. you know, we want the move and we want it to be nice and friendly. I mean, just imagine what it was like in the book of Acts when that was happening, you know. They probably had all the same kind of questions and yeah. why is... What's happening? Okay, so we saw fire come down on people. Like, you know what? And people are going, what is going on? You know? And, and, and I just think that's so important that we understand that when it comes to a move of God, that it's not about a manufacturing of it or, or, even, or even a his, history of it, although we appreciate the history of it, but it's what's God, what is God doing now? Yeah. You know, Getting a sense yeah, We're that. talking about a God who is infinitely creative, infinitely way bigger than anything we can imagine. We can start to understand him. We, we can read what's in the scriptures and we can experience him personally, but he's God, okay? So after all this uh, running around and revival junkie and all this, I finally got to the spot where I was able to lead my own. And none of them really looked exactly like the ones that I was in especially in third world nations. And I I remember this. God put a burden on my heart. Probably it's over 10 years ago now, maybe 12, 14 years ago. I just started crying out to God. I said, God, I want to see the miracles that I read about in the Gospels that Jesus did. I want to see those in my personal presence. And I went after it. For about a year or more, I prayed that, a little over a year. And... God answered that prayer. And one of those, I would say, and and this is a different form of revival because it started out as a thing that is really not revival per se. It's crusade evangelism in a village where you're just going for the lost and presenting the gospel to them and getting them to respond to Jesus. But I have found after doing that dozens and dozens of times in all of those villages, most of them at least, there are people who are already were Christians who need to be revived. They need to come back to the fire, and they need to be ministered to as well. But anyway, in this village in Rwanda called Rukara, we had a, a five-day uh, healing crusade, you might call it. We called them festivals. And I had been crying out to God this way. On this one certain night, 33 people got healed in their eyes. Everything from cataracts to uh, birth defects or um, uh, one eye blind, accidents, all this kind of stuff. And these people just kept going and going with these testimonies. And we got to the 33rd guy. And he got, and you could tell there was something different about him. In fact, I was running the camera. We have this on video, actually. He was born blind. 
born blind, and he's looking around, seeing, he's been seeing now for about 10 or 15 minutes. He's seeing trees, he's seeing people, he's seeing, I mean, stuff for the first time in his life. And what happened out of that was the pastors in that region, after those meetings were over, they really stewarded this miracle. This is a biblical proportion miracle and uh, the the guy lived right near the village. And he was interviewed on a radio station, and in that part of Rwanda, uh, radios are like TVs are to us, okay? Nobody has TVs, but everybody has these little transistor radios. And that went out in a 30-mile radius around that village, and people started coming and this is why I call it a, a, a revival or a, a outpouring or whatever you want to call it because people wanted to see the guy. There's something about Africans. They want to see it. They want to they touch him, feel him, and, and, and interact with him. And people would come from all these villages in this region. They'd show up at this Rukara. And the pastors stayed ready. And actually, more people got saved and more people came back to the Lord revived in the weeks that followed on this one miracle than got saved during the days of the crusade. It went on for weeks and weeks afterwards. In fact, a church building that was built there, you could not understand why a village is small. The Anglican church would build a church, this huge building. Uh, Inside of it was probably like twice the size of this, okay? It was never filled in its history. The church had been there a hundred years. And that church was filled with people newly saved and reclaimed for the Lord off of the miracle of that blind that guy that was born blind. Hey man, that's God. awesome. That's man. cool. Hey, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put someone on the spot here in just a moment. Um, but I'm gonna do that first and I'm gonna ask you guys to con- convince me. I'm a I'm a cessationist, okay? okay. I'm somebody who is who doesn't believe in miracles, signs, wonders, X, Y, Z. So I want you to take 30 seconds apiece and try to convince me that I need to think about those things, okay? If you can do it in 30 seconds, all right? Um, and maybe, Pastor Steve, if you can kind of talk about what that word means, all right? What that word cessationist means, okay? And, um, and then we'll go there. But I do want to put Pastor Deb actually on the spot. She didn't know I was going to do this. Uh, so, Pastor Lupe, can you help me with the microphone? Oh, April's got it. Um, I, I would like to hear from her perspective, um, just quickly. It doesn't have to be very long. I know she's going, why are you calling on me? Um, what, what was going on with you before the revival in Sherburne? Well, I guess there was a, a real, God had put on my heart that it was time for me to quit work and to just spend time with him in prayer. And when I did that, I thought, well, Hold I, know, the mic closer, Deb. I know how to pray 10 minutes, uh, you know. I can do that. And I remember telling Steve, I says, you know, I know that God wants me to, to pray. And he says, well, just sit, sit in your chair and pray. And No, no. That's no. the sanitized version. Yeah. Well, yeah I was pastoring, and she told me, now, don't you expect me, don't you put pressure on me to pray. Don't you put... And I said, babe, do what you're going to do. Right. Go ahead. And so, because I thought, well, I had never prayed a lot or a long time, but just a burden from the Lord came in. And Steve and I had talked about and he let me quit work and God paid off our debt so I could do that. 
And so I would sit in my, just my rocking chair in my living room, and I would just sit there and read or sing, and then God would just start putting within me either people to pray for, things to pray for, and then before you knew it, Steve would come home at noon for lunch, and there I was still on my chair. And, it, and as it, I realized that there was a desire to pray, but then it became discipline, and then it became delight. And the more that I prayed and sought the face of God, the more things opened up to me. And um, with that also came just the desire for more people to see the things of God and to get to know him. And I remember before um, the revival happened, God had, had asked me to fast. And it was an over a year that I had been fasting, and then the revival broke out. And there were other people within the church and the prayer team that had been doing the same thing because God had put that on individuals' hearts to start praying and believing for him for a move. But there was a cost, and that cost for me was to quit my job and, and just to spend time with the Lord. And I really didn't know how to do that at first, but it did unfold and um, it did turn into delight. I remember sitting in my chair, and I would see all the dust bunnies, you know, in my house as I was sitting there thinking of praying and thinking what I should do. And I thought, no, I've got to pray. And, you know, sometimes it seems kind of long, and you think, well, what am I going to pray for? But God really, as I would pray and just stay there in his presence, he would bring people's minds. He would bring people to my mind and to my heart. He would bring different nations into my mind that I would pray for. And um, that really put within me then a desire to become a revival junkie. I just wanted to see more of God. I wanted to see what he was doing and, and how could we experience that. Because I had come to the point that that I knew that God was real, and he had brought me to a place in my prayer life that I knew that I wanted more of God. And um, that kind of was the, uh, you know, what led me to, into just becoming a revival junkie and wanting to see more of God. I mean, to see people's lives change. You know, we live in such a place where people are reaching and asking for things. And, and as pastors, we saw so many people that had needs, and we could only do so much. And it, 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 kind, it just hurts your heart because you think, I want to help them. I want them to become, you know, set free and to move ahead with the things of God. But we are limited in what we can physically do. But I found that through prayer, that's when God can move and he can make um, lives change and he can do the restoration. And um, so all of those things, just starting out with a 10-minute prayer, quitting my job, led me on the pathway to just pursue the things of God even more. Yeah, that is so good. So let's just close our eyes real quick, and let's just, let's just ask the Lord to give us a burden for prayer right now. Yes, so, Father, in Jesus' name, we just, ask us, uh, we just ask you right now, Lord, that you would give us a burden to pray. God, that, Lord, you'd put it on our hearts to seek your face above all things, God. Yes, Lord, you said in your word to seek you first in your righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto us in Matthew 6.33. And so, God, I just ask you right now, that you would spiritually deposit right now in our hearts, Lord, just a just a, a deposit to pray and to seek your face above all things, God. Amen. 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 Okay, so not to berate this this thing, but I think it's really important um, <clears throat> when we talk about this, and then we're going to open it up for questions for anybody if anybody has any. But um, so convince me um, that I should believe in miracles and signs, wonders. What, what, first of all, Pastor Steve, what what is the word cessationist mean? Am I even saying that right? Yeah. 
Well, ask, ask that. Okay, so He's Dr. Okay. Nichols, what is the word sensationalism? Sensationalism comes from the word cease, okay? And people who hold that position say, yes, Jesus did miracles in the Gospels. Yes, the apostles and prophets did them in the book of Acts. But then it came to a point, and then they have a number of varying theories, the death of the last apostle or 100 A.D., or when the New Testament canon was finally solidified. Um, and they God was say, waiting for all those things. Right, right. <laughs> and that, so after that, then miracles and healings and, and uh, tongues and all are no longer necessary, so they have ceased. That's the cessationist uh, doctrine and teaching. Awesome. Okay, so right. now I'm telling you that happened. Okay, I believe yeah, that. So, okay. So besides having like a long, drawn-out conversation with me, okay, I can be changed in 30 seconds. So what could that? What does that? Mean it's to tough you? in 30 seconds. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I'll with God, all I'll come at two different approaches. Okay. The first one is, um, as you look at me, do I look like I am mad or insane? Do I look like a rational person? Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't need to prove to you hundreds or thousands of miracles to disprove cessationism. I just need one. If one genuine miracle happened after this time period, whatever you say it is, uh, then it's not true because God did do a miracle. And I am telling you, Jake, <laughs> I'm telling you that I have seen them happen with my own eyes. And I have interacted with the people, and I've recorded it on video, and it's a number of them are on my website. So the biblical establishment of when God does a mighty deed or a mighty act is it is witnessed to by people who saw it and heard it. And I am a guy, and I had people with me, so there were more than just one of us. We saw it and heard it, and we are transmitting to you what we saw and heard. Now, if you need more than that, then, then we're going beyond the Bible. Sure. Now, the second, now I know that's more than 30 seconds, okay? All right, the second thing is, let's take your verse, Jake. Your verse is 1 Corinthians 13, 8, right? Whether there be... Uh, Prophecies, they shall cease. Whether there be tongues, whether there be knowledge, it will vanish away. All right. Did you notice exegetically that healings are not mentioned in that verse? There's no mention of the word miracles. There's no mention of discerning of spirits or casting out of demons or, or anything like that. There are three things mentioned. Even if I granted your premise, which I do not, <laughs> but even if I did and granted you that there are no more tongues, there are, there's no more prophecy, and there's no more words of knowledge, we got a whole arsenal of other spiritual gifts that aren't even mentioned there, and they're happening around us all the time. I'm convinced. Okay. Your turn. I don't have to. You're convinced. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tag on to what Deb talked about there. That was a, a really... Um, essential part to Deb's hunger for revival. There's, uh, Doc and I were talking about it this afternoon a little bit. There's power in a pilgrimage. 
It's from the early times when you make the effort, when you pack your bags, the wise men going to see the birth of the baby and um, Abraham packing up Isaac to sacrifice him on the mountain. There's, there's power in a pilgrimage. And while I was, I was a facilitator for my wife's hunger to see these places and events, I was not an enthusiastic participant. And it, it, you will respond differently to the presence of the Holy Spirit than the people around you. And I have very solid faith. I can pray for people and they'll be healed, all of those things. Um, and, but my wife, she wants to touch it. There's never been an altar call that she hasn't answered to. Mu- any musicians in the room? Musicians, <laughs> come up here, musicians, and, and I'm going to pray. And she heads up front. She doesn't play any musical instruments. And, and, and um, I said, where are you going? She says, I'm going up for prayer. I said, you're not a musician. She says, I don't care. All the men, men, come up. <laughs> Come up, men, and she's headed for the front because she wants in on it. And so your hunger and, and, and her, her prayer time and her hunger for that was pleasing to the Lord. And, um, and he made us a combination that would, that would steward that. But I, I appreciated your two answers because I have a totally different answer. Um, I'm a man, um, and that doesn't necessarily make this automatic. But my makeup and my wiring is I like to convince. I like to, my wife would say, argue and, and those kind of things. And so for many years in my ministry and in my life, I would just take a challenge and try and explain them into believing or whatever. But I would simply, 30 seconds or 20 minutes, I would simply say, well, may I pray for you? Because all of the information is information is stuff that we deliver and information is good. I'm more of a teacher than a preacher. I, I believe in information, but information I believe is what you load in and you put in place for the Holy Spirit to ignite and bring to life. And so especially after you explain those things to him, I would want to say, can I pray for you? And I would pray, Lord, just just because that's, that's where we believe. We don't believe here. You taught me this. Why do you reason in your mind? Why do you reason in your hearts? Because we reason in our minds and we believe in our hearts. And I would just like say, if you would give me permission to pray for you, I would just pray that you would encounter the supernatural aspect of God that would bring you into that fullness. That's what I would do. Yeah, that is so good. And, and I think even if you um, have somebody in your life that might think that and might believe that, let's take on the 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 idea of Pastor Deb and us just going, pray for them. Yeah. You know, just pray for them. Pray that God show up as he did with that revivalist in an angel. You know, I mean, it's, it's not going to hurt for us to go, God, get them. You know, it's not going to hurt to say, Holy Spirit, get them. And, and just, and just um, let God do what he does best, you know, and that is reveal himself. Um, and, and I think that's good. Okay. So anyway, let's, let's, uh, uh, April, uh, help me out here. Oh, April's so awesome. Um, does anybody have any quick questions? We're going to take about five or seven minutes here to answer questions. Um, does anybody have any questions about this topic or about anything you would like to know a little bit more about, you know, manifestations, those kinds of things? Um, anybody have any questions? Put us on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Right over here. uh, Right over here. There's always got to be one that steps out in faith, and that's why Ashley is heading up our young adults, because <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's great. Okay, so my question is, when a revival kind of starts off, right, 
does it normally um, start off at like a church or through like a pre-made organization or is it someone kind of just going off on their own and just starting to worship God and then the revival comes through when you've seen revivals in the past? Does that make sense? Many revivals that I'm familiar with have started in churches. Um, <laughs> are you guys familiar with the Indonesia revival that happened in the 1960s? Tell us a story, Dr. <laughs> Nichols. <laughs> Talk about a revival starting in church. This is a Presbyterian church. It's Sunday morning. And, Deb, the people have been praying. They've been seeking God. Okay. And all of a sudden, everything stops in their service. It's somewhat liturgical type of, you know, church. And people, there's a clamor outside, and all of a sudden, people are, are bringing, this is a primitive culture, okay? They're bringing buckets of water, and they're throwing them on the sides of the church, and the people inside don't yet know why. So they, they go outside, and on top of the church is fire burning that everybody saw. Everybody in the village saw it. The roof of the church is on fire, and, uh, and they're bringing, and so they had to explain to them, you actually can't quench this fire, so there's no need to, uh, to bring the, the buckets of water. And that was the beginning of the Indonesia revival where uh, Mr. Cessationist, the, the simple believing Christians over there walked on water, literally on a number of occasions. They crossed monsoon rivers and nobody drowned. They were held up by the power of God. And missionaries have t had stories like that too, having to get to a place that they couldn't reach and the waters were in flood stage and God directed them to walk on the water. But I, I'm, I'm thinking about your question, Ashley, and, and um, I, I'm not, you're a better historian than I am, but the closest that I can come to is the upper room where believers just gathered, maybe you'd call that church, but the, they were dispersed and, and came back by command of of Jesus to to assemble in that upper room and fire fell and that started quite a movement as I remember and um, but I don't I don't know that I I think your comment about experiencing individual revival is about the only other one that I can think of that didn't start at a college or a church or a place where people are assembled together like that yeah I, I think that um, <clears throat> I've seen houses, house churches, they call them, that have been moving in this for quite a while now. Um, um, I've witnessed, uh, uh, this is going to kind of maybe blow some people away, but in, over in England, there's actually a, a movement of where they meet in pubs, um, where the Holy Spirit comes and God moves. Um, I, I, think, I think God will come to the people where they're hungry. Um, because the Bible is true, and it says, for those of you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, you shall be filled. And the way I look at it is, hey, we have a building, we have people who's hungry, you know? Yeah. And if God wants to move um, in that, now we have to understand that his sovereignty, he's sovereign. I, I've, always, I, I've believed a lie that God only moves in geography, <laughs> you know? Um, and that could be true. I, I don't know yet. Um, is there a geography? Uh, uh, locations, if you will, where God says, okay, you next, you know, um, or, or, or is it just open to everybody who says, yeah, yes and amen, we want this. Now, here's one that didn't happen in a church, and that's the East Africa revival that broke out in 1929. 
I'll just give you the short version. Um, I ne never heard of this revival till I started ministering over there in Rwanda and Burundi. And they told me all about it. There was no church there. Uh, there was a missionary there. His name was Joe Church. <laughs> and So there was a church there. Yeah, there was a church. Joe. Yeah, he and his wife, right? <laughs> the, church, the churches. <laughs> uh, and he didn't even really know what revival was. And this is a point, uh, Jake, your comment that you just made leads, leads to this desperation before a revival. It, it seems a common theme, a common thread through revival that somebody gets desperate. That's what happened to you, Deb. There's a desperation. It takes different forms of different people, different groups. Uh, but what happened there was there was terrible famine terrible diseases and this Joe Church was actually a medical missionary and he was wearied to the point of exhaustion of just treating people for the the diseases that were coming and people were literally dying in the fields of starvation uh, as this famine walked through the land and um, I, in his account of it he tells of having to open his door of his house in the morning and his door would, would open and would be stopped by the bodies of people who died during the night who came. Their last effort was to try to get to his house to get something to eat. And out of that desperation, the convicting power of the Lord came upon the population around there, and especially the workers in the compound, and they just started repenting. They started weeping over sin. They started repenting and returning items that they had stolen uh, from the missionaries and bringing them back. And um, out of that, this revival, it literally spread over five nations of of Africa and lasted over 30 years. But it started, there was no church there then. Now there came to be one later on, um, but yeah. That's a good question. Anybody else? I wanna take just a few more minutes here. Um, I, I said an hour, but it's been an hour and a half already. Um, didn't even feel like it did it, or maybe it did for you, I don't know. But I, I've loved this conversation. Um, anybody else have any questions that we can answer for you? Anything? No? Yeah, JR. Come on, April. Only reason why we're going to have you talking to Mike is for podcast purposes. That's, that's all, JR. So, so um, you'd show up to church, revival would be happening, God would be doing a move, and then it would like end, and you'd go home, and then you'd come back, and you'd just start up again? How, how did that kind of... I mean, everyone's different, I'm sure, but... Was your doors at at uh, uh, in Minnesota there? Were they open twenty four seven or? Uh, no, we would we would have services. That's how we would service the revival, if you will. Um, and we would enter into different relationships with people that would live in the region or the area. We had a lot of different new friends and new interesting situations happen. Um, so we would have evening services. But as far as the duration went. We, um, we were committed to having services, and these were people like, just like you. Uh, they had jobs. There were a lot of farmers in the church, and our worship team was our church, and they would come every night. And, and then fewer people would come, and then as fewer people came, then we compressed it to four nights, then three nights, I think, was, 
when when we uh, called it quits. And um, so what my, as a leader, what my mentality was, was as long as God shows up in this particular way and draws people in, we will facilitate it. And, um, and that's what we did. But I understand uh, Toronto was way different. Um, and in, at Bethel in California, I, I believe I've heard Bill Johnson um, talk and teach that he didn't believe that revival had to be a seasonal or a, or a certain time period that revival should be facilitated and nursed and not forced, not pushed, not demanded, but, but uh, pastored, facilitated, um, could be indefinitely. And um, they've seen a move of God there um, for I don't know how many years now. And, and also you see moves in, in countries come out of like Toronto, many moves, as, as Doc mentioned in Japan, many moves all over the country were born out of Toronto. Um, um, who's the lady missionary in Madagascar? What's oh, uh, Heidi, Heidi Baker? Baker yeah. Heidi Baker and her husband were missionaries, burned out and went to Toronto and yeah. went back to Africa and began ministering more in a sense of the power of the Holy Spirit and have been ministering there ever since and seeing miraculous things happen. So I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't know, Jr. I don't know if, I, I don't think God gets tired. I don't, but I, I do think he has purposes and places and times. I don't know. Doc, what do you think about that? You know, Heidi Baker's testimony, you're asking about being open, the church being open and, you know, does it carry over from, from you know, day to day, service to service? Well, she was laid on the floor for a week on the side of the building there at Toronto, people would come and pick her up at night when the service was over. They'd load her into a car, take her to the hotel, put her in the bed. They'd come and get her in the morning, and they'd put her back on the same spot for seven days. That have That's Heidi Baker. And if you're familiar at all with how God's using her now, you, you can kind of understand. I mean, that was... But that was an unusual kind of individual thing. And I remember your, your question, I remember the first time I went to Brownsville to the revival there, I was sitting there and I was, about the third night I was there, I was like, now wait a minute, this guy that's ushering down this aisle, he's been here every night for the three nights I've been here. I'm sure he has a job, I'm sure he has a family. He's been here from at least six in the evening till midnight, all these times. And, and what I believe happens is there's a special grace. And I looked up on the platform, too, the worship team. I've seen these people up here for each one of these nights for this long period of time, and then they're back up here at, at the end after the altar call. And there has to be a special grace for that. And, um, and here's another thing about revival we haven't really talked about. You, you kind of alluded to it right now is... People, you, you kind of knew the season was coming to a close just by the response of the people. In Brownsville, that's really not what stopped it. Brownsville lasted approximately five years. And what stopped the Brownsville revival was a major disagreement between Pastor Kilpatrick and the leader of the Brownsville School of Ministry, Michael Brown. And it was a major league disagreement. And... Um, 
most people I, I've talked to people I know some people that really were inside uh, in the inside working of it and they reconciled later on there's a wonderful beautiful video of that with uh, where Pastor Kilpatrick went back and Mike Mike went back and they reconciled they forgave each other and it, it was beautiful but that can happen too and and that is how some revivals end Another, just one other thing. Another aspect of revivals that I was going to mention earlier is that there's emphasis, different emphases on different revivals. Brownsville was very much a salvation revival. People got saved at Brownsville. And or some Pharisees are, got uh, taken Pharisees out of got <laughs> saved again. Yeah, resaved or whatever. Whatever your theology is, born again again. And some are... Some are miracles. Oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> some are healing. Some are refreshing. Just different aspects in different revivals too. Yeah, um, I, I, I didn't. I wasn't there at the beginning of Sherburn um, when this kind of broke out. I, we, Kristen and I moved there just a couple months into it, and so when Pastor Steve's talking about we need to put lines out, I remember the tape measure came out. And if you know Pastor C's personality, you know that's that's him. Like tape measure, we got to do, 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 do. The chairs were, do, 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 do. And it was just one of those things. And it was really, really cool. I'm, I'm the party guy. I'm just like, hey, let's have a big mosh pit. Let's not worry about anything. And um, let's make everybody uncomfortable and sweaty and gross. And that's how I am. Um, <clears throat> but in Springfield, uh, before I moved here uh, to pastor the church, we actually uh, had a move of God. Um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Roy Fields came, and we set out to do a three-day uh, conference um, where it was going to be three days. We called it Fire Conference, and it was just going to, we're just going to have just a weekend with him. And we got to Sunday night, and we went, Pastor Eric Hansen goes, well, maybe we go another night, you know, let's just see what happens. And so we said, hey, guys, we're going to meet tomorrow night. If you guys want to come out, come on out. And boom, full, packed full of people. And then we all went, Pastor Eric and Roy and Pastor Steve, well, let's just try another night. You know, let's, let's see what happens. And so three days turned into five weeks um, of just uh, every evening meetings because we were just following the lead. We're following the lead of the Holy Spirit in this and the hunger of the people. And, uh, and then it kind of just, it kind of weaned out and, and that's how that, how that took place. Um, and that's, that's when I moved here. I moved here from that move uh, to come here. And so um, I, I believe that, that God is in the middle. And as long as we just keep our ear in tune to the Holy Spirit and in tune to where God is leading us, I, I don't think we can ever go wrong. You know, I, I, heard a, I heard a pastor say this one time. It was so great. He said, if you want to be a successful Christian and believer, it's really simple. It's listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and obey the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it was really great. You going to say something? One aspect of the, any of the meetings that I've been to um, is the anticipation of the people who come in. If you come in on a Sunday morning with faith, if you come in on a Sunday morning with the anticipation that God's going to move, it does not take God and drag him in here. It removes obstacles. To get that, get that aspect in your mind. 
I know when we come in on Sunday morning, you've got kids and you the flat tire, and that's when the devil likes to stir things up. And you the sound have system that, goes bad. You have an argument with your husband or your wife or whatever. But if you can come in with an anticipation, a, a group anticipation will push out hindrances of the Holy Spirit. Try and think of it that way rather than get God to come because he wants in. He's here. But if, if there's anticipation, and the thing that we noticed, um, Benny Hinn, like him or don't like him, I don't care. Um, but if you'd go to a Benny Hinn crusade, people would fill that place. And there, the, the place is thick with anticipation of the presence of God. And the, the biggest miracle that I've seen, which wasn't a huge miracle, happened uh, going going to a Benny Hinn crusade where I saw with my eyes a wave of the Holy Spirit. You know how he'd wave his coat and, and, and that really got a lot of people mad and upset because, you know, where's that in the Bible? You know, waving a cloak, there's not, that's not in the Bible. But anyway, he was told not to do that and he did it. And standing where I stood, I saw the air emit from that coat in a wave up the wall of that hockey arena um, reset for this crusade. And the front edge of that thing um, knocked people down right up the, right up the side, Brrr, just like that in a row. And he waved that thing in front of us and off to the side. And we were both standing there, me and, and Eric were standing there. And I saw that wave come out of the corner of my eye and it nicked us. It hit us both, nicked us both in the chest. And it, it didn't force us down, but it nicked us both. And both at the same time, we plopped down in our chair and just laughed and laughed and laughed. It was just an amazing manifestation. And I just, again, the, the, the thing I would want to leave you with is just be open to what God wants to do. Don't, you don't have to explain it all. You don't have to be afraid of it. If, if, you're, if you're curious about it or wondering about it, talk to, talk to your pastor, talk to some believers, and talk to some, uh, some others who are in the room and say, what is that and what is that about? And just begin to walk in faith in the presence of God. He wants to, he wants to do great things. And that is so good. And, and we're going to close here. Um, but I'm going to tell this one story. It was 1998, and I took a group of teenagers down to YFN, Dallas, Texas. And, um, <clears throat> and we were in this, in this chapel area, this service, and Holy Spirit was moving. It was kind of after worship. The guy was preaching. It, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't like that great, you know, but it was good, you know. And he just put, he, he looked in the back door, and he went, here he comes. He just set his microphone down <laughs> like that. We had our hands raised, and wave after wave, all of us like dominoes went <laughs> just down this little area like this. <laughs> so we had testimonies afterward. The guy at the back row where it first started at, he, he gave his testimony. He says, when you said that, I felt this power rush through me. It threw me three rows in front. <laughs> he just went, boom, and he just, just went there. I mean, it was just such a power. Remember this, Kristen, when we were there? It was just a powerful moment. So I, I want to piggyback off what Pastor Steve said. Look, there's no formula. There's no, 
there's no, um, the, the, it comes from the desperation of people. And be okay when God moves. Be okay to, with And it. to be after God. Yeah. You don't have to be after the manifestations. You don't have to be after those things. Be after God and then say yes to what he comes with. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's, um, I, I think that's pretty good. Um, um, so what I want to do is I want us just to pray. So, uh, Doc, why don't you just pray for us? I'm here tonight, and um, as a matter of fact, let's just stand real quick. Can you, can you guys get up from your seats? <laughs> there we go. Hallelujah. So if you, just, just, if you just want a touch from the Lord, and if you just want just a deposit of his spirit, of his mm. presence, and if you just want to see God, if you just want to go after God, I want you to just put your hands up in the sky real quick, and just, let's just touch him right now. And Doc, why don't you just pray over us right now and just release us? Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for how much you love us. And I just ask, Father, that your love would be intensified here tonight on these people, on these sons and on these daughters. Father, I thank you that each one of them here tonight is a son or is a daughter of yours and that you've called them to this place. And I thank you, Lord, that there's a a realization coming up in them that you are not withholding things from them, but that obstacles and thought patterns and uh, past experiences are serving as these obstacles to keep us away from you. And right now, in the name of Jesus, we just come into agreement, and we just sweep those away. And we say, Jesus, you are the lover of our souls. Father, you are our good, good Father. We are your children. And we ask you to do with us what you wish, which is to fill us with your Holy Spirit, which is to overcome us with the goodness and the glory of who you are. And we do not hold ourselves back tonight from seeing the things and hearing the things and experiencing the things that happen both in the Bible and in revivals of history. Father, I ask you most of all for every person in this room tonight that you would make them an agent of change out in this society. Lord, that they would bring healing into Walmart, that they would bring uh, a love for souls into the hardware store and into the mall in the name of Jesus. Lord, that as we are quickened, as we are set on fire here, It would not just be for our personal enjoyment, but that we would carry it out of here. And Lord, even the very way we live our lives, the way we interact with people would be changed. Lord, I I ask this for myself, and I ask it for these people here tonight, that we would see them with your eyes. Because you are looking on us here tonight with your eyes. And I thank you for this mighty work of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.
Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for coming. I'll let you guys. Pastor Jake. Yes. Uh, April, would you put a bucket on Doc's table out there? And if you want to donate to Dr. Nichols' ministry, um, put the money in there. Also, get the um, get the information, get the books and the material that he has out there. Um, the he's of everyone I know, he's got the biggest brain and the biggest heart of everyone I know in the kingdom of God. And so there's going to be stuff out there that's just going to bless you, especially the book where God took him from being a Pharisee to a Holy Ghost uh, pursuer. So uh, this one right uh, here, avail yourself syndrome. of that material information out there. God bless you. Awesome. Take care. Have a great night, guys. Love you. That was fun.